0: Oh, it's actually happening. Okay. All right. It's uh, it's unbelievable how it's never easy. I log in half an hour before, but okay. All right, so the usual disclaimer is that I did my prayers before so that we can start. And uh, my second disclaimer is that I haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare because of uh, some uh, incidents that kept my mind engaged and disturbed, but um, because I did all my prayers ahead of time, then it's all, you know, safe. Whatever comes out, I know is what's what's supposed to come out. So. The sound you're hearing if you're hearing it it's not Godzilla coming at me it's just some teeny tiny monkeys that are they're howling monkeys in the, in the forest, and we're gonna have to live with them so I'll start with a little introduction because uh you just never know who's gonna run into these um YouTube lectures and um um you know, they just may not know there's a whole series, but this is a series about the 24 gurus of the, from the Bhagavatam, from the 11th Canto on the Bhagavatam. And I'm gonna come closer to the microphone because that's pretty much how lively I feel today. Um, the 11th Canto of the Bhagavatam where um, Maharaj Yadu uh, encounters a anavadhuta, and uh, he is so attracted by his uh, demeanor that he asks him, "Why do you conduct yourself like that? What have you done to get to this level of um, spiritual realization? It seems like the world doesn't perturb you in any way." So he starts saying, um, "I um, reached this level thanks thanks to my twenty four gurus." And then it turns out that the 24 Gurus are the basic essential elements, water, fire, earth, air, ether, the sun, the moon, etc. So um, it kind of shows that, as I've been saying, that ultimately the Guru is not the earth or this or that element in particular, but it's the... um, it's the principle of the guru that comes through us and teaches us in as much as we are receptive to the knowledge to the teaching and in as much as we have the eyes and the and the ears to see the guru everywhere so um, that's pretty much the overarching teaching whether whether I'll be talking about a pigeon or a moth or the fire or the earth last time we recapped on the earth and then we talked about the air and uh, today i'm going to do a little recap on the earth again and the air and then i'm going to finish with the second point that i wanted to discuss when it comes to seeing the air as uh, our guru what i said last time is that the earth as an element stands for um, solidity and um determination, so many qualities we analyze, so many uh, nouns that we could have taken as uh, inspiration just from walking on the earth. So the point of these 24 gurus is that, okay, maybe you may not see a moth every day, but the sun, the moon, the earth, you walk on as soon as you get up. Remember I was telling you that in our deity worship book there is a verse that we are supposed to recite in apology to the earth for stepping on her and we say I'm sorry mother earth but if I'm stepping on you it's because I need to do uh, save I need to serve Krishna that's a pretty good attitude to have so uh, it's good to become conscious of the earth of the fact that we're stepping on the earth or that we're breathing air we we see the Sun we see the moon every every day on a good day but do we ever think in terms of uh, spiritual thoughts do we ever even see them as our gurus so that's it's it's a good exercise eventually you will see that our gurus are not 24 but they're infinite every every atom <laughs> of what surrounds us is our guru and that's our goal as in as much as we imbibe this um mentality and this um outlook of the world we will get closer and closer to the brandavan consciousness where it's also said that every grain of sand is our guru is um, as insignificant as a grain of sand may be here a grain of sand in a realm made of sachidananda and more is uh, has more knowledge and more devotion and more anything to teach us than um, well, just has all the knowledge that we need and all the example that we need because the focus of what's conscious or not conscious in Vrindavan is all surrounded, um, uh, orbitating around service and that is the main teaching, how to become a servant. Okay, so I was saying that in relation to the earth, um, it's really hard to concentrate with these monkeys and people coming in and going out. Uh, in relation to the Earth. So I was saying that if we were to um, isolate a movement, a direction, we said last time that the Earth goes towards the center. It's all about implosion and concentricness to the point that you know the the atoms, the matter is so converging to one point, that it doesn't move. That's why we get the idea of solidity. If you stick your finger in the water, the the, the atoms can move around a little bit. But uh, if you not even stick your finger in a rock, that's how tight it is. How well solidified it is. And then we said, I won't I won't get into all the consideration about the considerations about the earth. But about the air, I said that the movement is quite the opposite. The earth is all about implosion the air is all about expansion or in other words all directions because you can see the nature of any gas the moment you spray something the moment you release some gas in the atmosphere that was previously compressed it just um, goes to the first limit it finds the implication being that if there are no limits it will just keep expanding uh, forever then of course keep in mind that any analogy Only goes as far as it can because you know, if you have a gas, say a can of I don't know something, some gas, freon for your car, and you release it into the atmosphere, way before it 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 reaches the limits of our atmosphere, it would become. It wouldn't. It would cease to exist. You would. You couldn't tell. Oh, there is some freon here. It was just you know, so. But um, let's just appreciate that the movement of any gas is uh, expansion, so out and away. So I was saying that that's the teaching of air. It tells us to expand, but expand not in a physical way. I was saying that to expand our wealth, to expand our property, to expand the number of children that we have, to expand our knowledge is getting more towards what I'm talking about. But these are... mm, earth-centered ways of expanding in other words i exp- i get this land and i make him mine i you know i have this wealth and i make him mine that knowledge i make him mine so it's all converging to the center which in this case is me all converging to a point that's the earth and by that time the earth is not our guru anymore if we have reason in that way the way the air is telling us to expand is in consciousness and awareness you know if you are aware of the other it could be at first your neighbor or your spouse or you know your 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 country fellow citizens or something and as much as you're aware um <clears throat> i was making the example last time of the moment we become conscious of the plight of orangutans in malaysia our awareness our consciousness our our choices will also change we might not choose to buy nutella in in, you know in new york if that oil comes from malaysia and it affects the orangutans that way that was just an example but the point is that we should we should expand in consciousness so then i was saying that if we expand in consciousness if um you release a gas in a bigger environment, the gas will take the shape of the next environment. So how far should we expand? Should we expand to the limits of the world? Should we expand our consciousness? And what does it mean? That we should be aware of every little planet and asteroid and and black hole in the universe? No, it's not a physical thing. It's... Um, I was saying that If we were to imagine the universe as a a sphere from the inside, like if we were inside of a Christmas uh, ball, it would be like a mirror. And as we get close to the limits of the world, we would see that it's a big mirror and it's us. We look at the world and we look at us. We look at the world and we see us. Because ultimately, when they say that Mahavishnu emanates Infinite universes, and in each universe, there are infinite souls. Or let's just say that infinite souls and infinite universes emanate from Mahavishnu. It could be seen or interpreted as for each universe, there is one soul who thinks they're the center of the universe. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, you do see that for each universal bubble, there is another expression of Mahavishnu. Um, you know, you can go into all the classifications, Karanodakasai Vishnu, Garbhodakasai Vishnu, uh, what's the other one? Kshirodakasai Vishnu. But ultimately it would be a very good exa- a, a very good exercise. Excuse me. Now many of you will start thinking, oh my God, Shrema Sundar is becoming a Mayavadi. But um, it would be, if not, am my an impersonalist. and, and still I'm, I'm not an impersonalist, I can guarantee you. But it, it, it would be a good exercise to, um, every time you hear about Mahavishnu, just take it as an example of what consciousness is and does. and um, as a reflection, what we do, because it's all consciousness. in one sense, Mahavishnu represents the consciousness in relation to, uh, to, to matter just like we are uh, atoms of consciousness, and we relate to matter in a certain way. So it's always good to see uh, reality, look at reality in terms of macrocosm and microcosm. You know, it's only recently that whatever the Vedas were saying for thousands of years ago, quantum physics have been able to explain by saying that... um, I think there was at some point a controversy about the electron or any little particle of matter is it a wave or is it a particle and then they realized well guess what if you expect it to be a particle it behaves like a particle and if you look at it thinking it's a wave it behaves like a wave so all of a sudden you had a science saying that consciousness determines matter consciousness determines reality And that's pretty much what was said all along when the Vedas say that Mahavishnu glances at material nature, the moment he looks at it, matter starts to acquire meaning. Matter starts to mean something. Um, You know, in philosophy they say, if a tree were to fall in the middle of the forest and you don't hear it, would it even have happened? Like, you, you cannot hear it, you cannot see, you cannot know. For all intents and purposes like it didn't even happen it doesn't affect your reality um, at all and some people might say yeah but if you go there and you see the tree that's fallen <laughs> that reality did happen whether you were there to see it or hear it or think about it but um, well both things are true I think I gave the example of the material world being a, um, a holographic projection like the holodeck in Star Trek where there are projectors that um, project a certain reality. And then if I'm here, actually the example I gave was that of a game, of a computer game. And I said that if I am playing at the computer from my house in Costa Rica, and I log into this game, luckily now virtual reality is coming to our help, And in the same game, another participant comes from Siberia and another participant logs in from Canada. We're part of the same game, they're typically war games, but I will only be seeing the game from my perspective. So if somebody gets killed, one of the soldiers gets killed, we're like, oh, so-and-so got killed, and I see it from this perspective, and the other person sees it from his perspective, and the other player says, oh, I got killed, So it's the same reality, but ultimately, subjectively, only I will perceive the world from this point of view, uh, even if it's a common thing, like, um, you know, you can tune into a radio frequency, say, I don't know, a famous radio, I guess every country has a different frequency, but um, say a a national radio, you can tune in from your uh, house and somebody can tune in from the car, but... It will always be a, uh, a different experience, especially in this analogy. And forgive me if analogies, uh, if I, well, don't, no, don't forgive me, it's not my fault, but analogies <laughs> only go as far as they can go. That, that's what they are, they're analogies. They try to see a, simil- a similarity between a reality and another one, and they try to explain one reality by explaining another one, but ultimately it will fall short. So I don't know how far this analogy of the radio can go. But um, I I think I said last time the story of um, uh, the Krishna radio. When I was in Italy, there was a station called Radio Krishna Centrale. And they really tried to have it on 108 um, megahertz or something. The frequency they wanted it to be on 108 but um, they couldn't get it because that was the frequency of radio Maria the Vatican uh, the Vatican radio so five or something and I had to like tune my radio just right and then use the antenna and touch the radio while sitting on the uh on the on, on the washing machine or on the toilet in my bathroom to to hear the kirtan and if I would remove my hand or move the antenna a little bit it would go from Hare Krishna Hare Krishna to Ave Maria Gratia etc So It's it's all about tuning in. Reality is all about <laughs> and make my husband laugh. Uh, reality is all about what and how consciousness tunes into matter. That's why they say Brindavan is not a, a geographical place. It's a state of consciousness. So ultimately we're called to look at reality through God's eyes. We're we're called to tune the radio of our consciousness on you know, radio Paramatma radio, um, even even better. You know, go look, go go cool radio. And um, and uh, and vibrate at the frequency at which Krishna vibrates. You know, different frequencies would be different states of mind, different moods, and it's it could be the difference between Vrindavana, Mathura, Dwarka, Vaikuntha, Ayodhya, uh, Brahmān. It's all about frequency. We'll see when we talk about the ether how it's all about vibrating and all about frequency. So, if nothing else, you might want to learn this, that um, what we're called to do is look at reality, look at the world through Krishna's eyes, and it'll be as, you know, he, he's, he looks like a pretty happy fellow. So, it's, it, it should be a pretty joy. But what I was saying about the infinite universes and infinite souls was that yes the world is really you know in a way you could say reality is what you make of it so many examples are given of the i think Shri prabhupada was saying that this ant is sitting on the sasana like i am but her state of consciousness and mine are totally different i am here lecturing on the bhagavatam and this ant is thinking where's the food am i you know am i going to be squashed am i in danger uh, essentially they think where is food because you know the state of consciousness of animals is anamaya what they care about the most is how to get food <clears throat> and yet they're in the same world so you could have um, you know it, it you know if i were to explain it in as esoteric or whatever terms it's like these mm, Universes, the, 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 the infinite universes that uh, are said to emanate from Mahavishnu, all coincide, but we're all at the center of our universal bubble of uh, conception. Because that's what makes the world, our conception of it. Mm, consciousness gives matter to, uh, gives meaning to matter. So, in yoga, I was saying last time that a yogi controls the world to the controls matter kind of like neo in uh, in uh, the matrix when he or she realizes what the ingredients of matter are and how they are an expansion of uh, the yogi's senses so remember the story of uh, Dhruva Maharaj he could master the air element by his breathing and then at some point he held his breath and the demigods were choking because they, they could not breathe if he wasn't breathing. And that's also a way to say how the world and uh, one's body, and keep in mind that it's all aligned, Atma means consciousness, mind, intellect, and body. Because Atma means self, so whatever you identify yourself with is pretty much the, the, the platform you're functioning from. So, you control your senses, a yogi controls his, uh, you know, what he looks at, what they smell, what they taste, their sleep. They control it all, and then they're in control of the whole situation, up, you know, like extended to the whole w- world. That's what's called uh, mystic powers. Uh, it, it seems hard to understand how can I, you know, control my, my, you know, an aspect in my body and make it that... It, you know, I can control the same aspect um, in, in the world around, uh, outside of me. Well, i got to say that I had it clearer last time. Today, like I said, I'm very distracted. I can't remember how I went there. But it stands to reason that um, uh, reality can be seen at a micros- microcosmic level or at a macrocosmic level, and they all seem to interpenetrate like a fractal i don't know if you know those fractal images where there is a spiral like a fern leaf and then if you look at a little element that composes the fern leaf it looks like a fern leaf itself in miniature and if you look to the little tiny element that makes one of those segments it looks like a fern leaf and it's like up to all the way into infinity or out into the infinite uh the same over and over and over you can see it in your body, the whole body can be found in your ear. The ear looks like an upside down fetus. This would be the 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 head. That's why they say that, uh, you know, if you put gold earrings here, it stimulates your intelligence. And that's why during school age, you got to put gold here, etc., cetera, et cetera. Your tongue has all your organs, your lips, your iris, your palm, your feet. Everything can be found inside of everything. My whole body can be found in one of my cells, just under the form of the genetic code. The DNA is found in every cell that, 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 that constitutes the macrocosmic expression, which is the body you see. But somebody who has the right vision would take one cell from my body and, and say, okay, this is a man with green eyes and um, brown hair, and uh, medium stature, whatever they can see. Okay, so, I was saying that if we expand our consciousness like AIR is teaching us to do, we get to the limits of the world and we see that the world is us. And, um, And therefore, whatever we push out into the world will come back to us. We've, we all know this. They call it the, la- the law of karma. Law of karma doesn't mean some kind of punishment that, oh, you will, you know, it'll come back at you. It's really as simple as, oh, I, I don't know if I told you last time. I used to have a little carton here of pear juice. When I was a kid, I used to drink this, like, little juice with a little straw. And so I would put the straw inside. And then if I would suck, I would just... <laughs> Suck the carton, and my cheeks would would also suck in. And then, as a game, I would sometimes blow into the juice, and the juice would blow back into my mouth. (laughs) So that's pretty much how the world uh, behaves. You, whatever you push into the world, comes back at you. If you are generous, if you are loving, if you are understanding, if you are. Um, whatever if you push out good things into the world good things will come back at you and um, if you take from the world the world will will seem to take from you you can you know uh, um, expand on this any which way but that's pretty much it so there's a a direct correlation between you and the world and uh, so we've learned this much but then I said, should we stop at the limit of the world? What if can we expand uh, bigger than the than, than world? And um, how can you be bigger than the world? Because you are. We already were bigger than the world. Last time I made the example of, uh, you know, a drop of blood. There is more blood in a drop of blood than in the whole Sahara desert. And you'd be like, well, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but we don't know that. We let the world be bigger than us. We let the external circumstances say, "Oh, this happened to me. Therefore, I have to be- behave like this." And Shri uh, Shri says the environment is friendly, meaning that. Well, first of all, it's not inimical. Um, but, um, well, let's stick with that. It's not inimical. It's just us, putting out, you know. Uh, whatever vibration whatever thought whatever action into the environment and it just naturally comes back at us because matter is all about static equilibrium you push here it comes out there you must have seen those globes that they sell uh, with snow like you know Paris under Venice you shake it and then it snows and then it just all subsides and it's totally still so that's what consciousness does to matter. <clears throat> it looks like in this world there are planets moving and, and, and galaxies and all this turbination of um, celestial bodies and then on planets like ours you have winds and, uh, and rivers and birds and fish and animals and people and all this stuff. But there's consciousness behind everything that is, well, animated. So if you remove consciousness from every aspect of the universe it will just be, uh, well, pradhana is the, is the term. Just all the ingredients of matter will be in perfect equilibrium because that's what matter wants. Just static equilibrium. All the fun, all the... Of course, consciousness is an irritant from the point of view of matter. Consciousness is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Disturbing my, my balance. But, um, and that's why belo- consciousness belongs in the world of consciousness with infinite potential. You could you could do it all everybody could do everything to an infinite degree because it's accommodating that way and in matter it just you can see Mahaprabhu's body when the symptoms of ecstasy were uh, blossoming on him his material body could not contain it so um, what was I gonna say we are bigger than the whole world one of us, one unit of consciousness, is way more important than the whole material universe, the whole, um, yeah, the whole of matter. So I gave the example of the video game. The moment the teenager turns on the computer, the game may go on, but he doesn't care anymore. Do the characters of the game die? Do they win? He's having dinner with his family. It's a totally different reality, and that what what was the reality that he, as a conscious being. Was absorbed into and that he as a gamer was making relevant becomes, for all intents and purposes, non existent the moment consciousness gets focused on another object. Okay, so that's what I said last time. And then I said that <clears throat> air is telling us to expand, but it's also saying, um, how did I put it? Uh, take advantage of me. Now, it just so happens that I'm reading a book called The Breathing Cure. And it's all about how the breath is, um, is um, affecting us or how we are affecting our breath so that uh, the breath affects our immune, uh, not immune system, well, even the immune system, but I meant the nervous system. And, um, by the way, just to show you a pattern, when the Bhagavatam was talking about the earth, It also expanded to talk about the tree, the mountain, and then the tree, same characteristics. So air can also be seen as wind or breath. So talking about breath, I was reading in this book that, um, you know that, um, at least my knowledge I had from school, is that um, we take in air, which is mostly uh, oxygen and nitrogen, and carbon dioxide and uh, water vapor we take we take advantage of the oxygen and then we release the rest the carbon dioxide that was stored in our blood and uh, um, and it gets released that way however uh, the findings well <laughs> that's the thing findings of, of, of who from where because the yoga um, say uh, text were saying this all along And it's really interesting to see how a sadhu, thousands of years ago, who would walk barefoot and, uh, you know, just uh, be in contact with nature and and breathe good air and drink good water and be in contact with the sun and um, breathing correctly, etc., would be doing so many things for his um, spiritual advancement Then of course, all depended on what the spiritual goal is but say a spiritualist and at some point the whole of society was called to be spiritualist they would be doing what is so good for us uh, um, psychologically and physically and spiritually that now on, on the, that only now science is coming to give support to so in yoga and people don't may not know it because when yoga came to the West uh, you know leave it to the Americans to take something good and make it even better they always have to enhance and just make it just make it better so um, I never had this sense that in in yogic breathing you need to breathe so lightly and so slowly that if you put a feather under your nose you shouldn't see it move <clears throat> you know you go to any of these places where they do yoga it's all about <sighs> And just big shows of uh, breathe in and breathe out and they do all kinds of um, panting and all kinds of breathing techniques but um, it appears that breathing slowly well first of all keep in mind that according to the vedic worldview we were all born with a certain number of breaths so <laughs> it's in, it's in your interest to to breathe as slowly as you can and as lightly as you can but now in science they found out that Uh, something with the carbon dioxide that you know we see we think is a is a is a byproduct and um, it turns out that carbon dioxide is what allows the next breath to take advantage of the oxygen uh, from the next breath and and uh, do it in such a way that biochemically the oxygen Become from the blood becomes available for each um, cell that the oxygen is supposed to nourish, and if we don't breathe properly, we can you know fill our our lungs to the to the maximum, but that oxygen won't be um, available, bioavailable to the cells. So the teaching is that sometimes you need to focus on the on the negative space. On, um on uh, <clears throat> on silence and learning rather than on speaking all the time and speaking your mind. I remember that when I was going to driving school, I had this realization that wait a second they call it driving school but here they're teaching me every instance in which I should control my driving. In other words, driving is easy. you push on the pedal and you go. But in driving school, they tell you, slow down before a, a curve, slow down before a hill, slow down when you see a red light, slow down before, you know, when somebody passes you and slow, slow, slow. They, they're telling me what not to do. And um, that is that is a side note that came to my mind now. It's not what I was trying to say. But um, sometimes it's good to know, well, you can see the value in, in learning what not to do before you learn what to do. In fact, when I watch tutorials on, uh, on uh, YouTube, and I watch a lot, I appreciate the ones that tell me, you know, I don't know, say I'm learning how to do pastry dough. Not the ones that tell me, so you take the dough and then you put the butter and then you fold these many times. That I know, that's the theory. I appreciate when they tell me if the butter is too warm, do this thing. If you screw up this way you could do you know you could brush some flour and make sure that you know they tell me what to do when I do stuff wrong or what not to do so that wrong stuff doesn't happen but anyway going back to the original teaching um, focus on the uh, carbon dioxide so yeah we're ready to like get rid of our breath out but it turns out that as we hold our breath we take more advantage of the air even more so they say they found out in the 90s that if you if you breathe really slowly all this nitrogen that according to science up until the 90s was just inert it had no value for the human body because we take our nitrogen through whatever protein through vegetables and um, and uh, well those who eat meat meat It seemed bizarre that 80%, because by the way, did I say air is like 80% nitrogen, 17-18% oxygen, some 2% 2%, uh, carbon dioxide and then a little bit of uh, water vapor. But that 2% is what does all the magic. And um, they also noticed that that nitrogen is not that um, useless. And if we breathe really, really slow in the air passage, something the oxygen and the nitrogen get together and they become nitric oxide which is antimicrobial it stimulates the immune system I think the vagus nerve too. and it's like the best thing you could possibly do just breathe slowly and lightly so how just like we should uh, make it take advantage of air with our breathing the metaphor is striking because everybody breathes everybody has to breathe and yet nobody gives any attention to the way they breathe in fact this book is also adamant about breathing through your nose because if you breathe through your mouth you take a lot of air that only fills the top side of your lungs and um, and most blood vessels are at the bottom of your lungs. All the capillaries that can take really advantage of that oxygen are where your lungs are the biggest, at the bottom. So if you breathe breathe through your mouth you get a lot of air but it stops here and it doesn't give you as much um, say nourishment to your souls and to your brain as it would if you breathed correctly and yet nobody pays attention to their breathing. Remember last time I said that air calls us to expand to the point that just mentioning breathing makes you go Makes you take a conscious breath because you're like oh, yeah breathing So similarly we're called to have a spiritual life Why because we're spiritual beings spiritual life doesn't mean religious life. It doesn't mean moral life It doesn't mean chant 16 rounds do this do that it means realize that your spirit There is no life outside of spiritual life because if you live from the perspective of the body, you're just living for the body, for the advantages of the senses and I mean, you think it's you, so you get some gratification, some fulfillment, but it's nothing like living, like I said, bringing your consciousness to the vibration of consciousness, of pure consciousness. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're something else. So, as much as we all breathe, just like we all breathe and very few of us are conscious of how we breathe and how to breathe well, we're called to have a spiritual life because it's the only life we can have because we're spirit beings and yet we don't. So that's one way in which AIR teaches us take advantage of me because there is so much that we could uh, achieve if we lived at that level I think I said last time that we were talking about Einstein and now Einstein recognizing the importance of uh, Vedic mathematics into well Western mathematics because in Western um, in the Western worldview over the centuries people were counting what can be counted the sheep the soldiers the taxes Nobody would think of counting what's not there or counting the infinite. It's like what infinite sheep. (laughs) But the Vedic point of view starts from a totally different uh, set of considerations. So they did have a word for uh, the void, the zero and the infinite, because everything starts from the infinite In, in the Vedic worldview. It's all about God. And then how our reality is all an expansion of an expansion and a byproduct but they're very conscious of the divine um, dimension. Even in a, in in grammar, whenever they talk about, whenever all these verses talk about that, that tat tat means that. It could be Brahman, it could be you know consciousness or God, but it always starts from he. Whereas, say in Latin and um, Indo-European languages that have a conjugation. It starts with I, I am, you are, he is, we are, you are, they are. Because all my students, I teach Italian, uh, English and Spanish online. All my students learn how to speak in the first person singular. They are concerned with I am American, I like uh, pizza, whatever. And that's what they want to learn first. Whereas in Sanskrit grammar, the verbs are identified in the third person singular singular like you would say how do you say to go in sanskrit gachati gachati means he goes because the third person singular kind of tells you if the verb is irregular and how it it's uh, it, it gets conjugated but it goes gachati gachasi um, gachami i think so he goes you goes and I go uh, you go and I go it's totally reversed and, and and it influences your state of consciousness too. just to learn grammar just to learn mathematics so they have this concept of zero and infinite and um, the potential of matter is zero it's uh, nothing will ever happen to matter as touch because it doesn't have a will it doesn't have a consciousness but the pot- potential of consciousness whether it's interacting with uh, matter or not is infinite and um and so this infinite potential can only be um uh, expressed in the infinite when consciousness vibrates and and focuses on the infinite not on this world so turns out i I can barely make my second point but i'll try um so take advantage of me spiritual life um was i saying Air is our guru and tells us, take advantage of me. So yeah, we should take advantage of our spiritual life, of the spiritual current, if and when it comes into our lives and um, not be like all those people that breathe mindlessly, not knowing how well they it would be, how good it would be for them to breathe uh, consciously. Another teaching of, life, of uh, air is if not... Take advantage of me. Don't get against me. (laughs) You will never win. Because like I said, it's your constitutional. It's your constitution. You can be deluded um, to think that you're made of matter. But um, once you start seeing things for what they are, it's only in our interest to um, submit to the uh, spiritual current that comes to us in the shape of the instructions of the Guru for example I was just thinking yesterday of uh, Christopher Columbus they must have had such knowledge in the past of what winds go in what direction what time of the year to have the um, the confidence to cross the Atlantic not knowing what's on the other side entirely based on the favorable winds that were blowing westward it could have gone totally wrong you know we could have never heard of C- christopher columbus and the nina and the pinta and the santa maria because if the wind had changed uh it's like an unpredictable but uh, every sailor will know that you can only take advantage of the air say the wind at this point we're talking about the wind to a certain point so the, going back to a spiritual metaphor you should not take advantage <laughs> well there's this concept of krishnanu silanam of uh, taking advantage of what's favorable for bhakti but make sure that take advantage doesn't mean exploit so in other words Sri sir says that krishna will tell us Hey, I'm here come play and then we go there and then he'll appear somewhere else and say hey now I'm here and we should not say hey you said you were gonna be here and 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 now what like we should not fit Krishna's um, whimsical nature because he's just a playful boy and say no you said you were gonna be in this forest and I why why aren't you in this forest like what are we just what are we discussing with a boy who is omnipotent and omniscient and (laughs) it it, will just you know I'm trying to make this point as simple as possible but um, it's quite complex the bottom line is that if we cannot take advantage of the wind we will never going going back to the metaphor of the sailor we will never be able to sail against the wind now, I don't know if they can do it but let's assume that sailors cannot sail against the wind you're gonna have to row you're gonna have to get the oars and 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 row um, You know, Arjuna himself says um, controlling the mind is uh, more difficult than controlling the wind. I remember hearing this and thinking, what's with this controlling the wind? Why? Wh- I couldn't quite understand. Just h- how do you control the wind? <laughs> But uh, why not control a river? Why is the wind taken as an example? Well, first of all, to control a a, a river, you have to go into the river and then control it. How? With the dam? I don't know. But the wind, we all have experience of that. As a matter of fact, last month, we had a Jamashtami retreat for the whole month and there were a lot of guests. Excuse me. And as you know, some of you know, Our prasadam room is um, kind of outdoor, it has screens, it has half walls with uh, screens, but um, the wind, we're pretty much in the open, we're pretty much in the forest, so there's all kinds of dust and wind that can blow in, and I was sweeping, and um, there was another devotee there, and I said, man, I hate sweeping against the wind, because you're sweeping and sweeping and sweeping and the wind blows it all throughout the prasadam room again and she simply said well just sweep with the wind and I was like oh. <laughs> I mean I knew it. it wasn't like a major realization but um, it's as simple as that it's just that in my little perception in my sense of right and wrong I start sweeping from the fridge and work my way to the door and then I push it out the door and it just took as little as changing my angle of vision adapting to what was a problem one second ago the same wind that was a problem if I don't uh, conform to it became my friend because now I was sweeping and I was lifting the dust and the dust was being pushed in the direction I wanted all of a sudden and then I just needed to collect it all where the wind was pushing it put it into a dustpan and then I went outside and threw it and it blew right back into my face <laughs> <laughs> No, I did and I think I did it carefully but anyway the point is that you work with the wind and um, it will always be in your interest because it's much bigger than you and if we take the wind as uh, the spiritual current the absolute coming down to us to ultimately help us realize who we are it doesn't help us to you know, go against the wind. I got distracted because I was thinking of something else. Did you know that ancient Vedic uh, cities, uh, Ayodhya, or I don't know what I read uh, years ago, but they said that ancient cities were built, which is kind of hard to think of cities being built because in the Vedas it looks like everything always existed there were always cities but anyway the cities whenever they were built they were built built in uh, consideration of the major winds so that the wind itself would clean all the leaves and all the dust go through the streets and push all the way all the, the dirt out of town naturally talk about smart design so that's one way to do it another uh, reference in the gita is that krishna says of purifiers i am the wind which i also had a hard time um understanding because um the wind ultimately just take the dirt from one place to another how does it purify really considering the the fire the fire is more of a purifier but then it destroys everything so (laughs) if you want (laughs) to purify i don't know something if you torch it then you're left with ash but you know for example the the sun is a is a purifier i guess the sun was already taken in another analogy but anyway krishna does say of purifiers i am the wind and the whole point is how to take these elements the wind the sun you know the whatever you say you see you're like you know krishna says i am the taste of water Every time you drink a glass of water, you're you're reminded, you're like, oh, this water is so good. If you come to Madhuvan, you'll taste that the water is um, not chlorinated and it's very nice. And you think, and water is so essential to to, to us, to life, and you can become God-conscious by just drinking water. So... um, the same with all these verbs from the Gita. Oh, yeah, the wind. There's a lot of wind here. We have a windy season. We have a rainy season, a dry season. And in between, the the temperature does it in such a way that the earth heats up and, and, and you know, goes up. So the vacuum is filled by the air on the ocean and there's like wind for four days. And, um... Why did I say this? <laughs> um... I say the windy season but uh, yeah just the, the when there is wind when it's windy you're reminded of Krishna oh, yeah Krishna is of purifiers Um, Krishna, uh, uh, of purifiers Krishna is the wind of all things that have a purifying power the wind represents Krishna and the same we can think of um, you know everything that he um, compares himself to <clears throat> let's see well we only have three minutes left let me just um well let me think if i have something else to say otherwise i'll just read what the bhagavatam has to say about the air as our guru which i assume you all read because it's already there it's in the bhagavatam um let me think So, yeah, just in general, it's a very powerful metaphor, the one of uh, taking advantage of a favorable wind in our sails, which would be the instructions of our Guru. And um, if you... that's also what's done by controlling the wind, you're harnessing the wind. Sometimes you know the way the the sail of a ship. If the wind goes this way, you just have this, the the sail parallel. But sometimes you can make it crooked, and I don't quite understand the dynamics. But I know that if you if you um... oh okay. So if the wind goes straight ahead, but I want to go there, I just need to turn the sail a little bit, and instead of going straight ahead, I can go to the left by still taking advantage of the same wind that goes there. So, um, it's, a, it's a balance, like, you know, the, the favorable winds of spiritual life push us towards renunciation and, you know, being a Paramahansa, but if we're not there yet, we can, you know, adjust the the sail a little bit and say, well, you know, I can probably do it as a Grihastha for this lifetime or until later or something. Um, but f- by all means, the most important thing is to not go against that wind because it'll just no matter how uh, it doesn't make sense to us it's um, it's not wise that's the teaching the main teaching which kind of resonates with what's on my mind these days uh, the air is saying take advantage of me but in the very least don't come against me so okay there's only one minute left so I'm gonna read what the verse says and next time we should be talking about the ether as our guru where's the Bhagavatam? Mm. okay so uh, canto 11 chapter 7 verse 31 41 says although a self-realized soul may live in various material bodies while in this world experiencing their various qualities and functions is never entangled um, sorry i, I read it. i misread it although a self-realized soul may live in various material bodies while in this world experiencing their various qualities and functions is never entangled just as the wind which carries various aromas does not actually mix with them and uh, there was another one, but you can see how these uh, verses are very rigid, very dry. It's all about don't be attached, uh, you know, don't be involved, and be focused on the on the goal, which is fine. I mean, it's fine. But um, I hope you can appreciate that I'm, you know, talking about. Um, I go all over the place with quantum physics and astrology and tarot and whatever anatomy and stuff but i'm trying to talk about uh, i mean i hope i've been making sense from the point of view of a vedic knowledge and our siddhanta but uh, yeah that is my hope and in a way that is like closer to our immediate uh, everyday reality <clears throat> let me just guess if by chance somebody's following the live on youtube and maybe they have a question no okay so i will just stop here and um you know, I'll do a recap next time, but next time we should be talking about the ether. I don't know who's organizing these classes anymore and what day it is. Plus, I'll be on vacation um, between October and November, but whenever uh, the chance arises, I'll be here, happy to share the few things I learned. And um, it'll be about the ether as our guru. So, thank you very much, and uh, I'll see you next time un figuro gauranga qui Jai.